podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Video podcasting to you from a field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey. And this is Malby on the Spot, your weekly chance, thanks to Anfield Index Pro, to hear the wit and wisdom of Liverpool and Denmark legend Jan Malby as we talk about all things Liverpool Football Club, which is a thing an awful lot of people are saying lately, so I'm going to stop it. But let's begin once more. Good evening, Jan. Good evening, Trevor. I hope you're well. I'm not bad, my friend. I'm not bad. We have uh, plenty to talk about, um, good and bad, I think, but... Um, We'll try and keep a balance because I notice not a lot of people are doing that. How is your uh, day-to-day interactions with Reds uh, uh, for the last few days since the result? Because for me, it's been very dark, very gloomy. People have uh, lost the plot. I see people biting each other's heads off on uh, various social media platforms about the need for a midfielder or two midfielders or whatever. Um, how are you finding that people have taken it? It's a bit of a worry for me. I, I can't I can't understand it. Well, it's kind of the world we live in, Trevor, isn't it, where everything is judged minute by minute. Uh, <clears throat> we've had plenty of time to reflect on it. And I think the most disappointing and the only real negative is that we've took two points from two games. Uh, you know, I think in times like this and with a manager like we've got and a group of players we've got, you look and you try and be positive and you go, Jordan Henderson hits the post in the last minute of Fulham, otherwise we win that game. And I think the game against Palace, the way that the, the game uh, developed, nine out of ten times you win that game, you know, mm. without any shadow of a doubt. So, they are kind of the, that's, that's kind of where we're at. You look at other teams, uh, who've had disappointing starts and, and I don't think they've got the same to sort of hang on to and go, listen, you know, this is only a matter of time before, before we go again, isn't it? But yeah, the disappointing part is that we're four points behind Manchester City and that is a big blow. Beyond that, I can kind of live with it all. I understand the frustrations with the injuries. I understand the frustrations with the midfield, uh, player. But if if we want Bellingham, and I think that's where most fans have ended up, then we have to accept that Borussia Dortmund isn't going to sell him till next summer, unless we do what some other clubs do, and he's paid way over the odds, and we're not going to be drawn up to that, drawn into that. So I think the plan has always been more or less the way it is. Sadio Mane might not have been part of the plan to, to 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 sell him, but I do feel that the club felt with the front three. Uh, coming towards the end of their contracts that, you know, they might have to do something like this. And so I think, all in all, everything that's happened, apart from the injuries, we've been pretty well prepared for. And and, and I do believe, I do believe the manager when he goes, we'll be okay. I mean, some players are injured, they'll be back pretty soon and, and, and we'll go again. It's just a case of getting that first win 
on the board. And now, of course, people are worried because we're playing Manchester United. Isn't it? But when I talked about Liverpool in the first two games, you look at Manchester United, look what they got. They've got nothing to hold on to because they deservedly lost both games. And they could have arguably lost both games heavier than what they did. Yeah, I thought they were lucky to get away with 2-1 against Brighton. And the Brentford, even in the second half, where Brentford just allowed United the ball, but didn't allow them anywhere near the goal. So, you know, you can, you can also be on the other side where you've got nothing to hold on to. And as I said before, we would have wished away from having six points without having been ourselves. We haven't been ourselves. Yeah, I think that's fair. And as usual, level-headed, which you come to expect from me, man. And, and we will obviously speak a lot about United before the, the end of this show because uh, that's where the fun is going to be. And it just happens to be, as you say, our next game. What I did want to talk about, though, just seeing as we've gone there, is this idea of the potential transfer thing or not. Because a lot of people are saying, well, look, um, it's not just one midfielder. It's not just get you, Bellingham. We probably need more than that. Um, and again, we've done this chat before where we've looked across at each of them and spoken about them and the uh, various merits that they have, but also the durability that these guys have. Um and Kloppo during the week in his press conference said something like, it was such a crazy week. He said it felt like there was a witch in the building, right? You know, like the, 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 it felt like a bit of a cursed week. And he, that's very much how it came up, came across with like injuries right up until the very last minute. Um, and people unavailable for selection right at the death. And even when people who were excited about seeing coming back, like Naby Keita, and not getting involved. Now, that's going to be my segue in a minute, because I want to talk about Keita, because he's a, a topic of conversation at the minute. But what about this suggestion, Jan, that it's not just one midfielder that's needed, really, that there's more than that needed, really, and that if we wait until next season and say that Bellingham thing does happen, you've also got a couple of people who are timing out. Milner's likely to time out. Ox was on his way out. If he gets better, he'll be gone. Um, maybe you're looking at another fella, like uh, perhaps a, a, a Thiago or Henderson, who's um, has a bad time with injuries or something like that. So you're looking at a situation where wouldn't it make sense to maybe be bringing in two, actually? And I don't think that sounds greedy. We haven't signed it. We signed Thiago, but since that, we haven't signed a midfielder since 2018. So... To me, it makes perfect sense that that's the area of the team that needs refreshing and to not do it. I, I, I want us to challenge for the title. I, I feel it would be very difficult to do it if we don't. What, what's your take on that, more importantly? I'm not 100% convinced that we won't be as strong as we were last year. Okay. And I also think that with Liverpool, it's always about looking into the future, Travis. And so the, the, the recruitment team would have sat down and gone, all right, the start of 23-24 season, how do we see our midfield options being. So you're obviously talking about James Milner probably by then uh, moving on, whether he retires or goes somewhere else. Oxlade Chamberlain will move on. But I think they're looking at, yeah, but okay, we've got Cavalio, we've got Elliot, uh, and then possibly there might be one more. I don't think it'll be Jordan Henderson, but you mentioned Naby Keita, which is obviously his unhappiness at, at, at not playing. And I think that's kind of what they're looking at, isn't it? So I could never imagine them to bring in two big names in, in, in midfield because they feel that they've, they've covered themselves for what, what's coming. And Elliot will play a lot of games this year and I think Cavalli will play a fair few minutes and they will then feel that next season they're ready. You know, I just think that's, that's how it happens, that, that, that they do things. 
we spend big. We're never embarrassed to spend up front because we know uh, that's where the big difference is made in the end business. So I, I, I couldn't. I, I mean, I'm being honest, Trevor. I couldn't see us. I couldn't see us bringing anyone uh, be, be, before at the earliest January. And I just think that happy or unhappy, I think we got what we got, and uh, we need to get behind them as quick as we can. Which I think most people are, anyway. Isn't it? I mean, nobody's about to desert this team. No, you're right. You're right. And of course, I think most people are of that mind. Well, most sensible people are of that mindset. You support whoever goes and takes the field. It's just that the idea of, well, look, we are really close to challenging this lot. And um, if we are going to do it, you'd like to see us best equipped to do it. And it just doesn't feel like that is the situation at the moment with uh, the midfield. But look, it's 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 a debate that won't go away. And I mentioned Naby Keita there, as you did. Um, and I wanted to just ask you, you know, from your own personal experience, obviously I know the whole media thing wasn't as crazy as it is now when you, you, you guys were playing, but there were plenty of local journalists, all of them hungry for angles, no doubt, all of them trying to cultivate players, uh, relationships with various players so they could get a quote or get a little bit of an insight as to what was going on. And so we saw yesterday a couple of comparatively well-known local journalists, uh, a girl called Mel Reddy, who said that Caden was not happy and that um, things were not looking great at the club uh, in terms of uh, extending his contract. And then you had uh, Neil Jones coming out and giving almost the exact opposite story, saying that um, a four-year extension or new contract was uh, very likely. So two parts to the question, Jan. The first part is, would you be happy to see that happen? Or are you at the stage now with Naby Keita where the frustrations, whether they're uh, any of his fault or not around him and his availability and his form are too much and you'd like to see the kid go on and play somewhere else and maybe we recruit? Or do you think we might be finally getting to a stage where we're going to see some good stuff from him. That's the first part of the question. What's your take on Kay? The second part then is with this whole local journalist thing. I mean, did you ever know, well, you were on the inside, but did you ever know any of them to genuinely have the inside track? Because it's a discussion that happens all the time amongst fans. Does Paul Joyce know what he's talking about? Does so-and-so know what they're talking about? So two parts there. First on Kayda, and then secondly, this local journalist thing. Do they tend to have the information, or is it only what they're briefed on? I do think that some of them are more reliable than others. But that might also be to do with that their best sort of weighing information that comes their way. Some people get information and they jump on and they go, guess what I've heard? Uh, whereas other people might look at it in a different light and go, hold on, hold on, does this actually make any sense? Mm. So in terms of all the things you mentioned there, Trevor, so b- back in my day, it was totally different. If you're unhappy, you knocked on the manager's door and you went and saw the manager. And if you wanted to leave a football club, you put in a written transfer request. Do you remember them? Written transfer request. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what the players did. They would write to the club and go, dear Liverpool Football Club, uh, due to lack of opportunities of playing, blah, blah, I would like to move. And then that would be made public. You know, and that's, that's, that's what it's like. But let me also tell you that back in the day, in the 80s, the chief executive, uh, who at the time was called the club secretary, whatever, Peter Robinson, would take all phone calls from the media. And the media would ring him up. There would be, like you mentioned, local guys. Five or six local guys, you know, one covering the star and one the mirror and the echo and the express and the mail or whatever. And they would ring up Peter Robinson and they would go, 
heard the rumor that he interested in Peter Beardsley, and he would go, it wouldn't do you any harm writing it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so yeah, he neither confirmed nor denied it ever, but you know, yeah, or yeah. if there was something completely, and he'd go, I don't think it'd do your reputation much good writing that piece, you know what I mean? Whatever it was. Yeah, and of course, yeah. sometimes he had to protect the club, but generally, 90% of the time, he, he was genuine. So this, I mean, this Nabi Keita thing, I believe, was broken in Germany, wasn't it? The story kind of broke with Sky in Germany, uh, that, that he was unhappy. I don't have a problem with him being unhappy, uh, because he hasn't played as much as he would have liked, but I just, I don't know. He's been here a while now, but I just think physically he's almost been overwhelmed, hasn't he? You know, been, been overwhelmed by the physicality of the games and also physically what it requires to play for Jurgen Klopp. I, I, I know he came from previous from very energetic clubs who try and play in the same way that we do, isn't it? Uh, but the opposition isn't, you know, so, so maybe he's just been physically overwhelmed, isn't it? So, where am I with him? I can easily live with him staying another season, Trevor, and we'll get some games out of it. Should he go and we can get, I don't know what we're looking at. Are we really looking at half the fee of what we paid for? I don't know. Would that make any sense? I think I can live with, with whatever happens. Uh, but of course, I always find that, see, I'm, you mentioned before about the problems that we have and the, the way we talk about things. Well, I'm blessed that I go to a lot of games, you know, and, and, and I go to a lot of different clubs and I speak to people and, the reason I'm so calm is that most of them, Trevor, don't have it as good as we do. You know, you think of the problems that they have in their football clubs and you hear it. You know, when you, get, you arrive at a football club that's not quite where they want to be, you hear it from everywhere. You know, the press officer that gives you a little and somebody else gives you a little bit and everybody's got something to say, haven't you? You know, but when you go to Anfield and, you know, lately Manchester City or whatever, there isn't a lot of that. Have you heard this? Or that, you know, because things are... Things are pretty calm because things are going in the right direction. I mean, and I always compare. I always compare well, where we compared to our main competitors. And people say, well, our main competitors are only Manchester City. Well, it's not, is it? Because, you know, minimum requirement every year is to get into the top four. Isn't it? So you can you can include Arsenal and Spurs and Chelsea uh, in, in, in that group of five clubs, isn't it? And, you know, it's, 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 it's only Manchester City who has a similar calmness about them as, 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 as we do. Yeah, and 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 uh, you say that, and and I think the people running the club and the people who are working for the club and the players and all the various staff, I think the calmness is there. I think amongst certain people like yourself who have a bit of perspective, the calmness is there, but it is certainly not present in the vast majority of people that I'm listening to, who are, uh nervous isn't quite the word. Um, I would say frantic. And I do understand an awful lot of the arguments about recruitment. I do. And I, I'm interested to see if anything happens. But like you, I feel that it won't. I think it'll be uh, January. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what how how people will manage. Because already the, the toys are firmly um, fired from the pram. Yeah? And we should start talking about the main reason for that, which is, of course, our form. And we'll do a little bit of focus on the last game. Now, there are a couple of big takeaway points, and I'd like to get your take on a few of them. But can we start with, with sort of the elephant in the room, which is yet another sort of appalling display from a fella in the middle um, who's making the decisions and the fella's backing him um, with their video-assisted refereeing. And it felt to me that 
I was watching Tierney at one stage. It got so bad, yeah, that I think he was equally bad almost for both teams. But it got so bad that I, I kind of found myself laughing at, at the stupidity of it. It was just incessantly bad calls. Had no control over the game whatsoever. It's a real issue, I feel, at the moment. Um, I remember 80s and 90s, you can think of these really strong refs who had a great reputation. There was loads of them in the 80s. There were kind of characters in the 90s as well. This doesn't seem to be the case now. And you're struggling to kind of think of someone who you'd be happy to see getting the referee appointment for a Liverpool match. But this guy in particular, Tierney, he has gone again with the red card, which is a rare occasion for a Liverpool um, player. So talk to me a little bit about what you think about the refereeing situation at the moment. And we might lead out of that into the Darwin Nunes red card, uh, whether or not you thought there was anything controversial about it. Um, my own tuppence worth, I don't think there's intent there, but intention doesn't really matter a damn. He makes contact with the guy's face with his head. That's it, game over. Whatever happens after that, with how Anderson bigs it up, again, that's none of our business. Um, so I'd be interested to hear what you thought about Tierney, about refereeing in general uh, in the Premier Leagues uh, at, at the moment, and then maybe just give us your take on the on the Nunes incident. So the referees, and, and you were trying to compare them to the boys in the 80s and 90s, and we always we always assume that referees are going to be big personalities. I think the referees are more known. They are bigger personalities in terms of being known by the public than they've ever been. Uh, but are they really big personalities? Are they almost overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the presence of the players? You know, you know, I, I, I think they have this thing about every time they, they're about to give a free kick or a red card or a yellow card or whatever, they kind of they don't look at. I'm now dealing with a player. They look and go, I'm now dealing with Trevor or I'm dealing with Ronaldo or whatever. And I think that's what they do. You know, so you don't get a, like a fair reflection across the board is that I'm refereeing 22 guys here. No, I'm not actually. I'm refereeing Trevor and Ronaldo and him and him and him. And I think that for a start is, is a bad start, isn't it? That you're not just refereeing 22 guys, doesn't matter who they are. And I think that affects them. Paul Tierney, I mean, I don't want to jump all over him, but Paul Tierney is not a good referee. He is never, he's never been a good referee. I've never liked him. Uh, Trevor, I, I was at Stanford Bridge Sunday, you know, and you talk about bad referee. I mean, that was criminal what we saw down there, not just from the referee, but also from VAR, isn't it? Uh, in, in terms of Nunez, I don't necessarily have a problem with the red card. Uh, in, in my day, the referee would have gone, don't be so stupid. You won't get away with that again. In today's football, as we've seen, it's a red card. I believe it's the first red card during Klopp's time for violent conduct, uh, which doesn't surprise me because he's, he's big on, this match situation that leads you be, to be sent off, isn't it? You're late in the tackle, somebody's clean through and you bring him down or whatever. But this unfortunately was the match situation. This is a situation that you can control better than what Nunez did. So I won't jump on any conspiracy theory regarding the red card. I, I thought it was a fair red card. Uh, although I understand the frustrations and I understand Nunez's desire because he's so desperate in each other. You know, he, he wants to come through the doors at Anfield and within six weeks become the, the, the big hero on the club, isn't it? He'll get there eventually. Uh, but he's been very over-enthusiastic in, in, in trying to get there. And I understand all the frustrations, but I don't have a problem with the red card. 
Yeah, I I think that's absolutely fair. In terms of the, the performance then, to maybe eke something out of that if we can, where do you think the downfall was there? Because I, I liked what you said earlier on. It's how I felt myself. I think that game gets played again nine times. They, it gets won nine times. We did enough. There was dominance of the ball and possession, some good football in, in terms of build-up play. And we just seem to lack that um, ability to put the ball away or to supply that really good final pass when it was necessary. Um, these things happen, I think, is a fair thing to say there. Um, and it would be silly to be getting too um, bent out of shape about that as some sort of a pattern or a trend, because we know how wonderful our attacking players are and can be. But it felt a little bit worrying at the end. I called the post-match show a bit of a worry, because I think that's how we all felt, just a little bit unsettled, um, because you want to see us, you know, blasting off at the start of the season and knocking goals in and basically doing what City have done, sort of matching them in terms of, dominance and uh, intimidation of the opposition and putting really good opponents to the sword quickly. And we haven't done that. Now, we haven't done that for two games in a row. You add in the injuries, you add in the frustrations around not um, consolidating the squad, and that's where you get the anxiety. Where do you think the game or the points, the two points, the vital two points were dropped in, in what area of, was it an area of the pitch in, in particular? Would you, would you start going, well, not Phillips, or would you, where, can you be specific about where you thought that the points were lost? So obviously you, you just mentioned Nat Phillips and, and when you were talking before about club mentioning the week that Liverpool had had and Joe Gomez, why is he not playing? Well, they didn't think he was fit enough to play 90 minutes, hence the reason that Nat Phillips comes in and, you know, God love him, he's a very honest boy, but I never thought we were going to see him again in a starting lineup in a game that mattered. Uh, but, but there he was. And I also think that we find that it, it only takes one non-regular. So Matip or Konati plays alongside Van Dijk, it makes no difference because they tune into the way that we play. But it takes one sort of non-regular, i.e. Nat Phillips, and it affects our high line. Because the high line came under criticism again, didn't it? You know, everybody's going, we've got to pack this in. But when you look at what actually happens, is, is that, I mean, the worst we played with the high line was last year against Benfica when we played a back four that never played together before and we paid a high price for that. Uh, again, I mean, you can't get away from the thing I just, I just remember is that not getting ahead, Trevor, you know, we've now conceded the first goal in the last six Premier League games. Yeah, big and, issue. And that's, that's a big issue, that Trevor. Mm. It's a big issue because I do believe that because of the way that we play, it's so important for us to get ahead because it, it makes it a totally different game. I know people will say it doesn't make any sense, Jan, because last year we, we gained 21 points from losing positions. But if we remember a lot of those games we turn around, it's hard work, isn't it? We don't really get into our flow when we don't get that first goal and the, and the game takes a different uh, development. in so... I think not scoring the first goal is massive, also because we're not at our best. I think that's quite a big thing, isn't it? Uh, I mean, as well as Harvey Elliott played, uh, I, I don't think Klopp will look back and think that the midfield did well. Fabinho is still looking leggy for whatever reason. James Milner, yeah, maybe further down the season, but I just didn't think he was the right choice. I predicted he would play, but I didn't think he was the right choice. Uh, so I just... I just think that that power we get from midfield, we didn't get. 
And then, yet again, I thought Trent was sloppy. Uh, Trent wants to play things quicker, quicker, quicker. He wants to have fewer, fewer touches and he, he wants to play everything first touch and whatever it is. And I just think sometimes, you know, just put your foot on it and, and, and take your time, isn't it? Uh, and then we'll take it in. Listen, there'll be people mentioning the Lewis Diaz in a very, very unusual, quiet 45 minutes for him. And David Nunez, you know, had the chance in the first half and then had the other chance in the second half with his left foot or whatever. So there's things you can look at there, isn't it? But I just think that our midfield, in terms of not necessarily how they play, but what they bring in terms of energy and power, we didn't quite get. We never quite got that. You know, when we play and we are totally on top of the, of the opposition, you know, and, and you can, you sense that they're, they're suffering. They're suffering because of the energy in our play. They're suffering because of our physicality in our play. Uh, and I just, I just haven't had that in those first two games where I'm sensing total domination. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like two bikers riding in and one is flat out and the other one is just dulling down. And that's, we are sometimes like that where even a game might be nil nil. You go, yeah, but listen. We're in total control here. We've got so much more to give in. And I haven't quite seen that in our first two games. Yeah, and even that said, though, I don't know how you felt, but when we went to 10, I was still confident we were going to get back into that. There was, there was, it was possibly one of the best periods of the game in terms of, in, in terms of, of, of pressure and, and, and urgency and, and that type of thing. There's a couple of things that, you know, you could look at that are, that are sort of positive. Maybe you're looking at, um, a situation where, the long shot of Harvey Elliott actually being a regular could be a thing. Maybe you're looking at a situation where uh, whenever he gets back, three games possibly, I think, I don't know if that decision's been made. I think he can go to four, but I, let's say three. You, I was really liking the way that Darwin Nunes links up with Mo Salah. That's an interesting new thing for us. I, I don't know if you thought that as you were watching the game, but I found it really strange to see diagonal balls going across and headers going to Mo's feet. It's a totally new thing for us. Um, and I like it. I think it changes the dynamic for us and for opposition. So they're just a couple of the positive things that I was able to get out of the match and I think that we should be looking at because the season's not just going to sit in this sort of slump. We're going to pick ourselves up out of it. And they are a couple of the things that I'm looking forward to. Again, the little bits we've seen from Carvalho are exciting as well. What, what were the positives you took from this game and indeed the first one of the season, if you have them? So the positives from the Palace game, uh, as I said before, I thought Harvey Elliott was probably our best player. I thought he did really well. I still think that Mo Salah hasn't quite hit the heights, but I still think he looks right, doesn't he? I think he looks sharp. I think he looks up for it. So that in itself is a good sign. I like the reaction from Lewis Diaz when we went down to 10 men because the moment you go down to 10 men, you're watching the game and you go, I'm not sure what's going to happen here because you can go either way. But our reaction was really, really good, you know, and, and, and that was led by, by Lewis Diaz. And that's not because he scored the goal. Scoring the goal was a bonus, but I just thought that he, he, he sort of went, you know, I like that when players recognize we need help here, you know, and he, and he took that upon himself, didn't need to do well. So I thought that was possibly, that was possibly our, I thought of two real positives, but there was other players who did okay. Uh, Allison can't do anything about the goal. He made another good save by when Essay was offside and from Sa in the second half and whatever, and he did what he had to. Fullbacks, I think, can improve. Uh, I think teams are maybe just 
find it a little bit easier to stop our fullbacks getting into those situations where their crosses are so lethal, isn't it? Uh, but it still worked to be done, absolutely. But I thought Harvey Elliott and Lewis Tears' reaction when we were down to 10 men were probably too positive. I think that's a great shout. I'd forgotten about Diaz because an awful lot of people were saying we need him to score. Um, and he did that in a hell of a fashion. So I think that's a really good one. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I, had, I had spaced on it. Just a word for the opposition, Jan, as well, or about them, rather. Um, you'd have to admire um, what Vieira is doing there. They have a very, very straightforward system, but they work it really well. Um, you know, that sort of five and four, and then the one out ball uh, in Zaha, who's obviously incredibly quick and uh, skillful, and that finish for their goal, it's an outrageous finish. It's fantastic. Um as was Eze's contribution to it. And in those two, they've got a couple of really good ballers there, I think. But I like the system. I think it's I think it'll, it's going to do very well for him over the course of the season. You can see Zaha having a lot of fun and getting a lot out of it. Um, it he's a bit of a revelation in that position, isn't he? And uh, you'd have to say, it's it, it credit where it's due, they're a very solid side. Yeah, they are. And they've got some really good players. I'm glad you mentioned that. They've got some really exciting young attacking talent. Saha, last year on the Vieira, I think he had his best uh, season in terms of Premier League goals from 14. Uh, and he and he's a handful. You know, and playing him through the middle against Liverpool, where he's a threat because he's a threat in behind because of his pace, isn't he? And I thought that was a real masterstroke. He's got other strikers who are more hold-up players, more target men. They wouldn't have given Liverpool the same, uh, same problems as Saha did. So, yeah, I liked him. I think he's done a really good job. Uh, how far he can take them. Again, it's realistic to finish in that group between 9th and 14, probably. Uh, but I think what they were after was more exciting players and more exciting football. And I think they're getting that. You know, the, there are a million stories we could talk about, but all of them tend to come back to transfers and potential and all that. And honestly, it's tedious because, you know, you have a good feeling about how it's going to go and we're not going to get told anything even if it does happen. So it seems like it's just sort of talk for the sake of it. I, I know I, I find it quite frustrating as a topic um, for us. However, there is a lot of interesting stuff going on where clubs are actually signing players and uh, recruiting. And uh, one of the most interesting stories is, is Nottingham Forest and the way they're throwing everything at the wall. Um, it's quite remarkable the amount of recruitment that they're doing um so for me i find myself very interested in the transfer season now because so many other clubs are doing so much obviously chelsea are you know throwing money around um barcelona's a total you know it's 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 like it's like a Netflix special uh, in terms of the entertainment and the the controversy um and obviously then we'll lead into what United are or aren't doing. What's taking your eye in terms of the business that clubs who are doing business um, are getting over the line? So obviously Nottingham Forest. You know, I guess if you're a Nottingham Forest fan, you would be excited. <laughs> but I think if you're, a, if you're a follower of Premier League or if you follow another club, I guess if you're a Fulham fan, because you remember what they did last time they were in, they spent over 100 million uh, on so many players. And I think it gets you, if you're a fan of other clubs, you look and you go, is that wise? I know they had to bring in a lot of players because they had a lot of loan players last year in the, in, in the championship, whatever. And they had to bring in a lot of players, but they take them to another level. And when you start to pay potentially 
£42.5 million from Morgan Gibbs White from Wolves, mm. who have never been able to break into the Wolves team, who was on the loan at Sheffield United last year. That's a time when you go, wow. I mean, yes, it's great having a target and doing everything you can to get that target, but they've certainly done that. Other clubs, Chelsea, I have to be honest. If you look at Chelsea and the business that they've done, and this is now Thomas Tuchel's third transfer window. And I think with the previous regime have moved out because they were very much in charge of transfers, I think Thomas has a bigger say. And I think what's happening now is that Thomas Tuchel is picking the players that he wants. You know, Koulibaly, Raheem Sterling, uh, the left-back, Kukurea. Did you know Kukurea is the most expensive fullback in the world? That's I didn't realise that. Yes, yeah. Remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Brighton signed him. 12 months ago for 15 million, whatever. But Chelsea are not done, are they? You know, it looks like they're going to get the boy from Leicester for Fana, uh, but they're interested in, in, in other people, possibly Frankie de Jong uh, from, uh, from Barcelona as well. So I'm intrigued with Chelsea uh, because we thought, how's that all going to work up? Whatever you think about Bramovich, I think 99% of all Chelsea fans, as a football owner, would take their cap off and go, he was a great football owner, yeah? Uh, so you always think with a new guy coming in, how is this going to face it? But this new guy looks like he's come in and understood that it takes money. If you want to be professional in football, find your dollars. And it looks like he's found them. And it looks like he hasn't stopped with it either. So the reason I mentioned Chelsea is that because it could affect us, Trevor, couldn't it? You know, mm-hmm. if, if, if they get another two or three at that level, then all of a sudden you're going, you know, Whereas we might expect him to do well last year, he didn't. But I'm thinking if you get another two or three, Frankie the Younger for Fana, whatever, maybe even a striker, you know, uh, could, could, could they become a bit of a dark horse, you know? I, Interesting. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think they will. Um, speaking of uh, rivals doing bits and pieces as well, this uh, Bernardo Silva story and the fact that he wants out won't go away. So he's now being linked to there PSG. You are, there you are. I don't mind. Let's go and sign in. Yeah. Yeah. I know we can. But, but like, yeah, listen, I mean, and obviously, I think. Do you, do you use one of your phrases, Trevor? What a baller he is, by the way. He is, though. He is. He is. Although, although, Jan, as you know, in Liverpool, it seems to be, it's an unofficial thing, but there seems to be a thing called the dickhead test, and I don't think he passes it. <laughs> you oh, know okay. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Like, I mean, he's not, he's not a great lad, is he? Uh, no, and, okay, and, fair enough. And, and so, and so I don't okay. think he fits in with Kloppo. But we saw Matthias Nunes, who we were linked with only last week, going to Wolves. Uh, I think it happened just as we were doing the post-match show. So <laughs> the moaning and groaning was, was, was huge. Um, that's good business for them. And they seem to have that Portuguese uh, connection going on there. Um, but City are not going to let uh, Bernardo Silva go without getting somebody in. So there's another big transfer that will happen. And whether it affects us, Jan, in terms of extra rivals with Chelsea or somebody else comes good, there's usually supposed to be a kind of a a, a, a domino effect where it, that might cause us to go and do something or it might cause another club to go and do something. I'm not, I'm still not, I don't have any faith that it will in our case, um, but it, it, you can see how it will happen with other clubs around. And 
One of the most interesting ones is our next opponents, um, and that's Manchester United, obviously, for those of you who aren't, um, who've already given up on the season and aren't following the fixtures, and that's uh, next Monday night. Um, so unusually for us, we actually have like it's it's four days away still. Like, so I I, I find myself uh, not as comfortable as I would have been feeling. I think with even just one win in the last two, and the reason for that is not because Manchester United are doing great work, and um, that they've signed great players, that they're flying, that they're in great form. But this has a feeling now of a kind of must win for them as well as us. So let's just start with our little bit of analysis of United and the game that's coming up with a look at what you think of their activity in the transfer market because it does seem a bit well, we've spoken about it before and you, you've talked about how Ten Hag has leaned into the whole Dutch thing but there's also, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of rhyme or reason. For example, they're linked today with Casemiro. In fact, it seems to be quite close um, from Real Madrid, who I think is about 30-odd, right? Um, and somebody made a really good point earlier on. So Casemiro becomes their sort of ball-winning, deep-lying midfielder and then lays the ball to who? You know, um, how does he fit there or does he fit? Or do you think actually it could be a very good signing for them? So talk to me a little bit about their activity in the transfer market by way of segueing into talking about United generally. So obviously there's no doubt that they needed a, a, a number six ever since Michael Carrick retired. And it isn't necessarily a defensive number six they've they, they needed, but they've needed somebody and they failed to do that. Now it's Casemiro. Um, I, I don't get it. I have no problems with Casemiro, although I do believe that, you know, he's about one of them very trusted players by Ancelotti at, at Real Madrid. Uh, and, and then they might find it difficult to get him out. But I do agree it's very close, 60 million, I believe, the fee. Uh, that, that they're talking, isn't it? Will he solve their problems? No, he won't. Uh, I do think there's players, if they went in, I would worry about. Uh, but Casemiro is not necessarily one of them because Casemiro is so very much defensive, isn't he? What Manchester United need and what, what, what football clubs basically need now in modern football is a number six that breaks and then gets the ball moving, isn't it? And going forward, ever, you know. And I don't think he's that type. And people say, well, he did well for he did do well for Real Madrid, you know what I mean? But it's he just played totally different in La Liga than what it is in the Premier League. So I'm not overly concerned, but I do find it strange. Manchester United is such a big club, must have a recruitment department. You know, and what's the recruitment department doing in terms of because they've been linked with A, B, and C. And still I don't see them buying into what they need. They're not buying into their style. So I I, I can see Trevor, I can see it in your eyes. I can see you're worried about the game on Monday, isn't it? Uh I wouldn't lose an ounce of sleep over it. <laughs> well, let's talk about another of their arrivals before we start talking about them and that game. Uh, and a lot of people, because that's what people do, football fans are vicious bastards, as we know. And um, Lissandro Martinez has gotten a lot of abuse, you know, um, their defensive signing. And, and most of it has been down to the fact that he's quite short for a centre-half. Um, but he's obviously a highly rated footballer as well um, and very good at what he does. But I've seen a lot of people saying, OK, so he struggled a bit in the first two games uh, in the Premier League um, at centre-half at that height. Well, who could have predicted it? Well, everybody would, right? Because we know that we don't even um, consider recruiting centre-halves unless there's 6-2 or 3 or whatever. Um, 
that was probably never really going to work. And then you look at who he's got to sit beside. You spoke about Harry Maguire last time out. Absolutely fine. Has his level, but it's not leading a team um, who aspire to things like Manchester United do. At least it certainly hasn't seemed to be so far. So in terms of a big defensive signing, that's another example, isn't it, of them just not seeming to get it. Now, maybe he'll make us eat our words, Jan. What do you think about this Martinez um, transfer? Last five seasons, one big centre-half per season. Yeah. By, by Lindelof, by Maguire, Moran, Lissandro Martinez. Uh, Arsenal looked on Lissandro Martinez as a left-back. United bring him in to play as a centre-half. Instantly, you have a weakness in your team that the opposition will, will, will notice. Sometimes, you can have a weakness in your team when you think it's okay because the opposition won't be able to get at that particular weakness. But this is a height problem, isn't it? Mm. And set pieces play such a big part in the Premier League that Ma- Lissandro Masters can play as well as he wants. He's going to come under pressure 15, 20 times a game because of set pieces. And Brentford said that on Saturday. Thomas Frank said we targeted him. We see him as a weakness. So there's a stat that he won loads of headers in the early division last year. If you play as a centre-half in Holland, you will win loads of headers because the guy you're playing against is showing no interest. 50% of all strikers in Holland don't want to head the ball. So more often than not, you, you're, just, you're just being allowed to win a header then that goes against his stat, doesn't he? He won 79% of all his areas, whatever. You know, they they got a best than average team and they got glaring weaknesses in that team, Trevor. Glaring weaknesses. You know, you've got a team who want to play out from the back. You've got a goalkeeper who can't play out from the back. You've got a right-back, who's a very honest young right-back, not good enough. You've got Luke Shaw, when in transition, can't find his position. You've got Harry Maguire, who has zero confidence and you've got Lisandro Martinez who's been thrown into that at five foot nine in the Premier League. That's just talking about their back four, back five, which are they got a big problem. Is it possible for somebody to overcome that um or is it league specific? Um because I'm thinking, say we organise uh, a, a little challenge game when you come over to Ireland and uh, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're playing against each other and me uh, at just kicking the arse out of 5-10. Why would I ever consider going up for a header against you? Well, why would I bother? It's just a silly, silly setup, silly situation. Obviously, occasionally you'll do a Tiago on it and you'll out-jump someone because you've gotten a good uh, bit of pace into the run or something like that. But it's the majority of the times you're on a loser there. And what does that does that say something about the quality of football played in the Premier League? Or to me, it seems really old fashioned. Surely there should be some way of operating um, which allows for someone who isn't necessarily the tallest. Or is it just that that's a, a reality of the Premier League that there's going to be a lot of aerial challenges and you need to be able to win them? Yeah, I, I think so, Joe. And I think just, I mean, there's obviously a gap. There's different levels in the Premier League and you've got the teams that you expect to struggle and then you've got the middle bit and you've got the top teams. You know, and I think sometimes teams are thinking, well, we're playing against a team that is blatantly better than what we are, so what can we do to hurt them? Mm. You know, and set pieces have, have come back in, in fashion. 
you know, set pieces. You've got a defensive set piece coast. You've got an offensive set piece uh, coast. It's never been bigger. And of course, that on Saturday against Brentford is a disaster for somebody like Sandro Martinez, isn't it? Because that's what they do so well. What they do actually, Trevor, is that when they get three kicks and wide resistance, they kind of hang them up in a way where they're almost 50 50 chance of them getting a corner from a free kick that they weren't going to get anything from. You know, mm. so they've almost took it to the next level, haven't they? They get a free kick and they go, the angle is wrong. We can't get anything from this, but let's get ourselves a corner from this situation. So they've took it to another level. One set piece leads to another set piece that might just give them an even better chance of scoring a goal. Listen, so for Martinez on Saturday, it was just a nightmare. Fair dues. I don't think Everton Hart has made a lot of good decisions since he joined Manchester United. But I do think taking him off at half-time was a good decision. Not for the sake of the game, because the game had gone by then, falling down, but possibly for the, for the young boys' future as a Manchester United footballer. Oh, you're going to have to explain that, because an awful lot of people will see that as him being hooked and therefore almost scapegoated. Um, but what you seem to be suggesting is take him out of a bad situation in case it gets worse. Is that where you're going with it? Absolutely, Trevor. And... You know, as much as there's so many things that football would never admit to, they'll never admit to reading a newspaper or following the media, whatever. Believe me, they read everything. Uh, so there's a lot of things we'll never admit to, you know, and being hooked at half time. But that boy in the last 10 minutes, because don't forget they were falling down after 33 minutes, I think. So he'd have been on for another 12, 13, 14 minutes. And I think he's thinking, I don't really want to do, you know, I want to play the second half, but not really. You know, and, 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 and once you get over that initial sort of shock, uh, I, I think deep down, as I said before, you'll never admit it, but I think deep down, we've all been there, Trevor. We've all been there where you think, there's only one guy who can help me now. That's the manager. You know, hook me. I mean, it was a bit different than other. We had one substitute in it, but you look and you go, do me a favor, hook me, you know. So I think it's an easy explain for Ten Hag. Yeah. And he can even explain it to listen. He said, you know how we play. Ajax, we were together. You know how I want to play. I'll get it there and you'll be my star man. But, you know, that game on Saturday, because of the way that people around you did their job, uh, just didn't suit you. So I, I think it's an easy play. But, but a lot of people make a lot of people make a lot of these things, isn't it? But, you know what I mean? We're realistic, aren't we? In a, in a game of football, you can be replaced. All sorts of things can happen. Isn't it? So, so I think the boy will be quite sensible about it and go disappointed. But I think he'd be more disappointed with his own performance. You know, and the fact that now, People are looking at it as a weakness, isn't it? You know what I mean? So doubly, doubly determined when he comes back, whenever that might be. Yeah, whenever that might be. That's going to be an interesting one, I guess, to watch. You mentioned the manager, um, and there was a lot of talk about new era and new ethos and all those type of fancy words that people like to throw about when someone comes in to take the reins. Um now, if it's too early to judge Liverpool on two matches, then it should be too early for us to make any big defining calls about Eric Ten Hag's reign at Manchester United. So we're not going to be silly about it. But at the same time, what signs are you seeing, if any, that uh, the man's getting it right? Uh, and do you see any signs that might be a little bit worrying in terms of um, him hanging around in the job for a while? I, I, I do generally, Trevor, find it difficult to see some real positives. I thought with the relatively long pre-season they had, which they came back early, and I thought he would have developed something that would give you the idea of what the way forward is. We know how he wants to play. We've seen how Ajax play, and we've been told how he wants to play. 
But when you look at his team, you don't see any of that. And I always think that I wasn't necessarily the advocate of, you know, running around. But the more you run, the more chance you have of getting success. And then being almost 14 kilometers short of Brentford's running on Saturday. Mad start. It's, it, honest, Trevor, is there any other word to describe it? No. That is madness, isn't it? Yeah. New manager, you want to impress, and that's your output. It is, it is simply madness, isn't it? Never mind, like Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford can't play football without confidence. He has no confidence at the moment, but he can run around. And, and, and he can't even. So the first thing you say to your players is, if you can't play well, give it everything you've got. So you almost feel like at the first hurdle, he's failing, isn't he? Because he can't get him to run for him. You know, a top team, what do they run hundred between 110 and 114 a game, yeah? I mean, and they ran at 95 kilometers. So, so that in itself is just madness. But I look and I look at the, so how do you, how do you want to play? How do you want to create a chance? I just can't see it. Can't get the balance right in midfield. He can't get anything from Rascal or Sancho. And of course, he's got an issue with his star man who doesn't want to be there. Uh, I'm talking about Ronaldo, isn't it? You know, and, and, and he doesn't know anyone, anything, isn't he? So he's not going to knuckle down and, 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 and lead from the front, is he? You know, so I, Trevor, he's, 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 it's a difficult job. It's 10 times bigger than what Ten Hag thought. It's five times bigger than Manchester United thought. And it's at least twice as hard as we thought it was going to be. Because I also think sometimes we look at it and go, get a good manager, get a few players. It's a lot deeper than that. They've got big problems. It does seem to run deep. And that is obviously to our favour. But this does have that one-off kind of feel. Always has done as a, as a, as a fixture. That said, we've been very dominant of late we really put them to the sword last year. Um, they're definitely not any better, but are we any worse? Um, and with the view of maybe talking about the specific game coming up, it looks like we could have Bobby Firmino back in training. So I suppose that's one good thing in terms of uh, having to replace Darwin Nunes. You wouldn't be too high on that as an option, given Bobby's little display in the first game of the season. Um, but listen, he's a class act and you'd have to hope that that was just a game as opposed to a trend. Um, if we do have Bobby Firmino back straight in for Darwin Nunes, and that's the way we go, you could see pretty much um, a similar-ish team going out. I think Harvey Ellie would probably keep his place. I don't know what you think about that. I'd like to see uh, Naby Keita get a go if he's going to be at the club. Um, he might as well be playing if he's fit um, if he, if he and, and see what he can do. Um see where we are i think for for everybody it'd just be nice to see him play to see if we can get a feel for what the real truth of the situation is there does he want that um it might be obvious um so for me i'd love to see elliot get his chance again i'd look i'd like to see bobby firmino step in i'm hopeful that we'll we'll have a joe gomez who's able to do 90 minutes um, who'd have thought we were, we were going to be saying that kind of stuff? Yeah, you know, we were talking about our center half situation before the season started. Um, but they, they'd be the two big ones for me to, to get to see Gomez get 90 and do well alongside Virgil. Maybe make it hard for Joel Matip to get back in, um, for Ibu to get back in when he arrives back. I, I can't think of anything I'd like more than that. Um, and for, to see one or two of our kids, um, 
get get that chance to get a protracted run inside and see could Elliot step up, maybe get Diaz on the score sheet again. They are the big ones for me. As you look forward to the game, what's the reality of the side that you expect versus the side that you would like? So it must have been a good week for Liverpool. Uh, because, you know, as much as the results have been disappointing, you, you don't sense there's a cloud hanging over uh, the training grounds. So I think they've had a good week. It's been another full week, hasn't it? You know, Monday to Monday, I think they've been able to do a lot of work. Uh, in terms of the team, I think Joe Gomez uh, will, will start the game. Uh, in midfield, is a tricky one. As I mentioned before, Fabinho, for some reason, to me, just looks a little bit leggy. Doesn't quite get there as quick as he normally does. Elliot would play. And then there'll be one more, whether that's Henderson or Naby Keita, I'm not sure. Bobby Firmino, I think, will find it easier to play against Manchester United because I do find Manchester United extremely poor without the ball. They find it difficult to pick up runners. They find it difficult to deal with movement. Uh, so I think that would suit him, isn't it? So it wouldn't surprise me if Klopp goes, go in there as a proper false number nine. You don't have to get up into those areas. Just in there. Put, put the play together between the midfield and, and, and the front two, isn't it? And we'll, we'll see if we can cause some problems with Salah and then Diaz's face, isn't it? So I think it's pretty much going to be no real surprises. The strongest 11 we can, we can, we can, we can muster. So I've got one doubt and that is who plays alongside Fabinho and, uh, and Elliot in midfield. Uh, but apart from that, I think Bobby, Bobby will return and Diaz will be on the left and, and Mo on the right and, uh, let's go. Klopp was said that, that Jordan Henderson had a knock coming into the game. Um, he came on there at the weekend and was busy when he came on. Um, if not necessarily really progressive, he was busy. Uh, so maybe he's back. Maybe that's enough. Uh, maybe he's got over whatever knock that is. You would imagine if he's fit, he'd probably start in that game, being the captain and all. Um, and that might be enough um, in terms of, 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 of little changes with uh, Joey Gomez coming in. And if Bobby can step up, as you say, and do the things that we know he can do. Um, it was a bit disappointing and a bit of a, 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 you found yourself sort of wincing about having a look at the bench there the other day, and because the injuries have taken a toll in that regard, you know, and to be only two games in and looking at a bench like that, it is kind of a worry to, when, when you consider that you've got Jimmy Miller starting the game, and, 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 and I love the lad, but, you know, he probably shouldn't have to be starting the second game of the season for us. So you, you'd like to see these injuries start to come around pretty quickly. Um, do you think we have that impact player to come from the bench considering we're probably going to see Diaz in the starting lineup considering we're probably going to see um uh, Bobby Firmino in the starting lineup and uh, Mo Salah will obviously start and 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 probably uh, you're looking at Harvey Elliott in the starting line, lineup as well so you start looking then through who we've got to spring a surprise and you're already maybe getting a bit well is it the kids that we just signed from Fulham Really? Is that is that what where where we are at this stage? Now I've seen mad stories where we're being linked with the likes of Leroy Sane, but that's just someone pulling the story out of their arse, isn't it? Um, is there any argument to be made, or should we just hold our peace and be patient because we do have Jota to come back? Is there any argument to be made for that actually being an area where we might be surprisingly light, or do you just have to say, here, relax, you've got your big signing suspended? You've got your goal scorer, like most reliable goal scorer almost injured. 
just relax. These things happen. You can't go signing players just because fellas are out for six weeks. Yeah, and we won't. And it's exactly what you mentioned, isn't it? You know, who comes off the bench to make a difference? Well, the number one at that is injured, isn't it? Shotter. So I guess in a few weeks, we'll be looking at a bench with Shotter, possibly Bobby Firmino, possibly Elliot, not every game, but from game to game, and Cavalio with more minutes in his legs. And then all of a sudden you think, well, okay, I can work with this, isn't it? We won't have that luxury on, on Monday against uh, Manchester United. So it'll be very much a case of the starting 11 hands to do the job. And then the subs, whoever they might be, might find it easier to come into a situation where we're in control and winning the game. Is But if we can be 1-0 and you're looking down the bench and you go, who's going to change this for me? I suggest that you look on the pitch because anyone who's going to change the situation like that will probably already be on the pitch. Isn't it? So in terms of that, that is most definitely a negative. I don't expect us to do anything about it apart from wait for people to recover from illnesses, injuries and suspensions. Yeah, let's hope we can get that witch out of the building the Klopp was talking about and uh, get the place. Uh, get Can't the place. Bruce help us with this. Bruce can normally help us with these things. Bruce is the, usually the man. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. He's, he's, he's normally got something that deals with all these things, but I'll have a word anyway. Do have a word, please, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just has that feel at the moment that there might be a little bit of a jinx hanging around. I want to start wrapping it up, actually, because we are getting to the top of the hour. Uh, and there's a million things we could have talked about. Uh, we'll save some of them for, for our next show. Um, but I have this feeling that I get to the final question here today that we always ask is the final question. I have this feeling how it's going to go. Um, we could be looking at, a, at an Old Trafford where there are fans marching out in protest against the owners. We do have that disarray that we've spoken about there. I'm going to go on a limb here, Jan, and suggest that you probably think that's going to be enough uh, with a little bit of resurgence in our form for us to take it. But I'm going to ask the question anyway. How do you see the game going? Yeah, I mean, they're obviously encouraging each other to enter the stadium and then to walk back out. And, and of course, the one thing that hurts owners is, is always empty seats, you know, although the tickets would have been sold. So I don't know what they're going to do in terms of protest. The thing with Old Trafford, and that's why I think the likes of Bobby Firmino will return, is that being a great footballer, in the visiting team is important, is it? but it takes a little bit more. It takes a little bit more to go to Old Trafford because the history of the game. Uh, so that's why I think you rely on, on the experienced boys who've played there before. For all the will in the world, I just can't. I just. Manchester United is a team without a plan. Uh, the two teams we played in the first two games both had a plan and executed very well. They don't have a plan. I can't see it. I think we'll win 3 1. Love it. Uh, we should then wrap this up at this stage. We'll have a little bit more news for you in regards to one topic we spoke about last week, including a certain petition Jan might be familiar with, uh, with a certain supermarket chain, but we'll just leave that hanging in the air uh. until, until we, we'll, we'll, we'll get a result on that before we, we talk about it. Um, and uh, I want it just remains for me to say thanks very much, Jan. Another uh, show where um, an awful lot of topics covered and uh, you did it with your usual skills, so thanks very much. No problems, Trevor. Enjoyed as always, and uh, let's hope the results are quickly going to turn around. And to all our subscribers, we'll be fine. We 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 we, we, we know we can trust these. We know we can trust these, Trevor. Come on, let's go. Nothing but evidence of that over the course of the last few years that Jan and I have been doing this show together and take the big man at his word. 
do have a little bit of faith. It doesn't have to be blind. You've got loads of evidence to base it on. Uh, myself and Jan will be back with you uh, next week to talk about that United game and look forward to the next competition or next uh, outing for the Reds. So stay with us. We'll be back again on video form. And we look forward to talking to you then. Until then, good luck. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.